Tell somebody next to you, say, you look joyful today. You can be seated. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Acts chapter 2, if you have your Bibles. My wife didn't know I was using this passage this morning when she did the offering. So Acts chapter 2. I'm going to dance around the scripture, not I'm going to dance around, I'm going to dance on, I'm going to, that's, that's probably got a bad connotation, I'm going to dance all through the Bible, there we go, I'm going to figure it out, I'm going to dance through the Bible today, so I'm not going to dance, I'm going to give you the Bible, I'm not going to dance around it, I'm going to give you scripture, we're going to, we're going to yeah, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> Since when do we ever dance around the scripture? <laughs> we'll dance through the Bible. Jesus. You know, this weekend, I just want to talk just for a moment about this weekend. Um, we haven't had special services um, since the end of last year. Um, so this is different. You know, we haven't had, you know, special scheduled services um, since the end of last year. And uh, so this is a little bit, little different. And um, just getting back into that, whatever, you know, routine or awareness, whatever that is. And so I just want to encourage you to, to awaken yourself. If you're online, just to, just to rest yourself, get your, get your attention. You know, sometimes we get into um, cycles and routines and people are in a cycle and a routine of, um, well, I don't even know what to call it. It's the COVID crisis. So uh, arrest yourself. Get a hold of yourself. Uh, if you're watching online, I want to encourage you to get a hold of yourself and to be in church this coming weekend. Start making it a priority. I'm not talking to anybody in here because I, I, you're here this morning. But I'm talking to those who are going to watch this online this morning or uh, later I want to challenge you to get yourself in the house of the Lord. Um, I, you know, and that's all I'm going to say about that. But anyway, get yourself in the house of the Lord. It's going to be important to be here this weekend. I believe God's got something important to say to you and to us as a church this weekend. So I want to encourage you to be here, to be present, to be accounted for Friday night at 7, Saturday night at 6, Sunday morning at 10. Um, God has something to say to you, and he has something to do and to speak to our church, um, it's, and I believe it's going to be super, uh, super meaningful, life-changing, and, and I'm not just saying that because it sounds good. I'm saying that because I believe that, and uh, I want to see you here. As we prepare for what God's going to do uh, this weekend, I just want to go to the scripture, and I want to take a look at what it means to prepare for a move of God. Um, we live in times, and we've said this, you've said amen to it, we've talked about it, how uh, we live in a day and age that is desperate for a spiritual awakening. Yeah. We, uh, thank you, Kathy. We live in a day uh, and age that is desperate for a spiritual awakening. Amen. We need a Holy Ghost outpouring of supernatural power, supernatural revelation, supernatural awakening, supernatural salvation, signs and wonders. Lord, take us back to the book of Acts again. Yeah. Yeah. I, this isn't just for me. This is not just uh, good words to get you to say amen. I believe this. 
I believe that we are in a day and age that is desperate for the gospel message. The morality of our nation, the future of our country, the future of this world is absolutely dependent upon the church being whose God has called us to be. Now is not the time to get lazy, to be quiet, to say, oh, you know, whatever you say. Now's the time to engage and rise up and be the army of God that you're called to be. You're called to be part of the army of the Lord. And that, that army, that, that army message is, is not one that, you know, of, of dissension and strife and hatred. Our message the, the weapons of our warfare. Does anybody hear me this morning? The weapons that we've been equipped with, the weapons are, of our warfare are not carnal. They're not, they're not divisive. They're not man-centered. They're not empowered by human effort and human ingenuity. But the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God. They're mighty. They're, there's dunamis power in the weapons that we've been given. They're mighty through God for what? For the pulling down, for the destruction, for the demolition of strongholds, of man-devilish strongholds. Strongholds in your mind, strongholds in our society, strongholds in our culture, sinfulness, the weapons of your warfare are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. And so it's time that we engage with the weapons of our warfare. Now, I'm not preaching on, on weaponry this morning, but it's time to take up your armor. It's time to take up your weapons and engage. If you haven't engaged, now's the time to engage. God is on the move. The lion of the tribe of Judah is roaring. He's on the move, and it's time to get behind him. It's time to fall in line, get on your horse, and let's pick up our weapons and get going. Amen. Good preaching, Pastor. I'll amen, my, I'll amen myself if you won't amen me. Because it's truth. He's on the move. It's time. It's time. It's time. Check your watch because it's time. If you, if you listen this morning, I got a fancy eye watch. It's, it'll talk to me. And it's saying it's time God is on the move. You didn't know Siri could say that, did you? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, I want to just capture some things here. And like I said, I'm going to go through Scripture. But I want to capture some very important truths. As we prepare for what God is doing in our day, how do we do that? What can we look for? What are the signs? How do we know that this is happening? How do we prepare? How do we walk in this? I'm glad you're asking all those questions because you're right where you need to be. So the first thing I want to talk about is that we must proclaim the gospel. The Bible says in Romans 1.16 that I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why am I not ashamed? This is not empty words in a book. This is not just another revelation from some dead guy. This is the living, active word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword. And so I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. It is the dunamis of God. It is the breathed essence of who he is. The word of God is the, it's the essence of who God is. It's his power. 
power. It is the message of love. It's the message of transformation. It's not just another book of turning over another leaf in your life. It will change your life. It will transform your life. And so if we are looking for a move of God in our day, we have to start with the Word of God. We live in a day that is moving away from His Word. 2 Thessalonians talks about the falling away from the Word of God. That we live in a culture and a day where people are, are moving away from the moorings of their faith into a self-centered, watered-down gospel that isn't the gospel at all. If anything the world needs, it is the unadulterated, powerful, impactful Word of God preached from the pulpit and preached from the people in the pews. It's proclaimed from the pulpit and it's proclaimed from your life. This message of the gospel... The power of God for salvation is not just something that we preach and teach from the pulpit. It is and it always will be. But it's something that's proclaimed from your life. You know, we always quote St. Francis of Assisi. And, you know, maybe, maybe your life is the only Bible. You know, use, use words if necessary. All those wonderful quotes. But I give you permission to use your voice as well. God has given you vocal cords, a voice. He's given you a message. Proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. Don't back down. Don't be ashamed. Don't be worried if Facebook's going to moderate you and try to show you. Preach the word. It is the power of God to salvation. I said it. I don't even know if I want to say that. But I said it a couple of weeks ago. That social media is becoming more and more, uh, it reminds me more of being in, in communist China than being in the democratic United States, all of this stuff. And, and of course now there's you know, information out that backs what they're doing and, and that's kind of what's happening. But regardless of what the world does, we should not be surprised we sh listen to me. We should not be surprised when culture and the world tries to moderate and mitigate what the church is saying. We shouldn't be surprised when there is a great falling away and, and the world is trying to shut the church up. This is the message. The, the word of God is the truth. It is the plumb line on which everything hangs. And so when the world wants to live in carnality, when the world has other agendas, when, when, when what the scripture says is wrong becomes right, and we become an upside-down society based on no longer trusting in the word of God and absolute truth, and we start saying things like truth is relative to how you feel and what's relevant in your life and what's true for you, and no longer saying the word of God is absolute truth, they, they have to silence the church because the message of the gospel is the power of God to salvation. When the gospel is preached, people's lives are transformed. Paul said it. He said, how will they know if, if, the, if there's no preacher, if there's no message, if there's no messenger? And, and he goes on to say that faith comes by hearing and hearing the message concerning Christ. And so we've got to preach the word of God 
unadulterated and not ashamed. If we want a move of God, then we have to stick with the word. What does God say in his word? Not what I feel. Not what society tells me. Not what a government tells me. I'm telling you, there's coming a day, friend, and I'm going to say this boldly, and some of you may not like it, and I might get ugly letters, but there's coming a day. It doesn't matter because I don't get them. If you remember the sermon a couple weeks ago, I don't get them anyway. (laughs) So I won't know. But there's coming a day where, where the government, where leadership in this nation is going to tell you and I that what scripture says is wrong and try to we see it happening but but there is coming a day where it is going to become more restricted to do what we're doing there's and, and quite frankly I don't think it's that far off but we we listen you know every I don't care what side of the political line you're on here this morning People are talking about abortion this, and there's so many different perspectives of that and this, and your opinion and my opinion, and racism this and that. Listen, the Word of God is still the Word of God. Racism is a sin. Don't shout me down when I'm telling you the truth. Abortion is a sin. Tell it's just it's the Word of God. So it is still the word of God, regardless of what anybody else says, it's still, the, it's still a sin. And it's still true that, the, that if you've gone through an abortion process, that Jesus still heals. Jesus still heals your emotions. He still heals your mind. He still removes the guilt and the shame of your past. So the word of God, still the word of God, there's coming a day where, that, where those truths, those realities, people are silencing it. Yeah. It's going to continue to happen. But if we want to move of God, we must stick and stay with his word. We must be people, number two, that continue in prayer. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They continued steadfastly in the preaching of the word. I just want to pause there for a moment and say, this is a, this, this word, the word doctrine, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, is different than self-help and make you feel good message. Doctrine you can base your faith on. Doctrine is a foundation. Doctrine, it's not just dogma. It's not just something that you, you, you recite and say, I, I, the Apostles' Creed, the, or, or whatever that is. And those things are important, but doctrine is a foundation. It's the anchor for your soul. So what, what we preach and what we teach here is not just something that is an uh, ever-changing trend or something that makes you feel good in the passing moment. It is an anchor for your soul. It's an anchor that you can root your life in, anchor into, and say, this is where I stand. That's how Martin Luther could stand up in front of the Pope and say, I I can't recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. This is the Word of God. Period. I can't change. You're not saved by how much money you drop in the coffer. You're saved. You're born again by faith. By, it's the work of grace by faith. I can't change it. This is the word of God. So apostles' doctrine. Let me move on to prayer. 
So they continued in the apostles' doctrine. They, by the way, they, that word that they continued in, you've heard me say this before, it's the word preserved in in the Greek, that they were preserved, kept from spoiling by the apostles' doctrine. I'll just throw that out there. If you stink spiritually, take an examination. Have you been preserved in doctrine? Anyway, let's keep going. So it says that they, in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. They continued in prayers. No great revival has ever been birthed except by prayer. When God has moved through the pages of history and done a supernatural work in, in, in culture, in society, and the world being turned upside down, it always begins in prayer. The launch of the New Testament church was in prayer. They were assembled together in prayer. They continued daily in prayer. And not just prayer individually, but corporate prayer. They prayed daily, corporately. Don't shout me. Y'all were excited when I was talking about the truth. But then when I start telling about being together and praying together, powerful things happen when we pray together. If you look in Acts chapter 4, when, they, when, when Peter and John had been arrested, I preached on this a couple weeks ago, but, but when Peter and John had been arrested, they were praying together, and an angel comes and, and, and releases Peter. I'm sorry, if you, Acts chapter 4 is a little different story, but if you keep going uh, through the, the scripture where Peter was in prison after he had cast out the devil of the slave girl, and what happens? He's... The angel shows up and releases him out of prison. He's translated, literally translated out of prison and shows up at the prayer meeting where they're all praying. And they're all confused. Acts chapter 4, they were praying because Peter and John had been arrested for healing the lame man who went dancing into church. Don't dance in church, you'll get arrested. Not really, but that's what happened. I have a question. Are the distractions of this life preventing you from praying? Like the disciples who couldn't stay awake. They, they were asleep. When Jesus was in the garden praying, they had fallen asleep because of the heaviness of life and the circumstances of life. Or will you stay awake and be like those on the day of Pentecost who, who waited patiently for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Are you going to be like the ones in the garden who say, life's got me distracted. Let me, let me lay my head down and fall asleep. Or is there going to be an awakening in your heart? Peter was falling asleep. But there came a day where he had to move out of his slumber and wait for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. I got to tell you this morning, there's a day to move out of your slumber in the garden and engage with what God's doing in the upper room. It's time to move out of the garden of sleep and into the upper room where he's pouring out his spirit upon all flesh in the last days. 
Be people who continue on in prayer. Be, a, be people who continue on passionately praying and interceding for what God wants to do in our day. Smith Wigglesworth talked about a generation that would worship a God that they would no longer pray to. They would talk about how much they loved him and, and sing songs to him, but wouldn't pray to him. God, help us that we're not that generation of people who can sing the songs and not be in communion with him. We could come into church on Sunday and sing songs, sing songs that sound good, sing songs that were written with meaning and and. and, and Anointing, but songs that don't echo from our heart. Songs that our lips sing, but our heart doesn't worship. So important. And it begins in a place of prayer. It begins when we're on our face before the Lord. It begins when we corporately intercede and pray together. John G. Lake talks about, in one of his services, by the way, if you don't know who John G. Lake is, you should go study, great revivalist. He was in South Africa at the time of this miracle. He saw thousands of healings and miracles in his ministry. It was said that they put the bubonic plague on his hand and under a microscope watched the plague shrivel up and die because of the anointing on his life. Yet, interesting, had a great healing ministry, but many of his kids died on the missions field. It's, it's a very interesting story of, and, and a great picture of the sovereignty of God and the work of God. But here we find a man, he says he was in a service preaching and ministering. And as he's ministering, thousands of people in the sanctuary preaching, and as he's preaching... And he's taking time for prayer needs. And a man in the back of the room, remember he's in South Africa, and a man stands up in the back of the room and says, pray for my cousin in Wales who's dying, uh, bound by devils in an insane asylum. And Lake asked everyone in that service to join together in prayer and to begin to pray for that family member, that cousin who was in Wales. He'd never been to Wales, but he, they could pray for the person in Wales. And he said that he knelt down. He was overcome by a spirit of prayer and he knelt down. And, and he noticed as he began to kneel and to pray and to cry out to the Lord that about a hundred or so others in the sanctuary began to kneel. Others were in their pews praying with their heads bowed, but others were on the floor kneeling and praying and crying out for this person. And as he, as he began to pray, he felt the power of the Lord come upon him and the, the effects of the prayers of those in the sanctuary. And as they prayed, he said he could feel the intensity of the presence of the Lord. And before he knew it, he found himself walking up to a door. And the door, it said an insane asylum, and he remembered the, the door knocker on the door, and he walked into the insane asylum, walked up to a woman who was strapped down on a bed, hands tied to the bed, was strapped across the bed, and was writhing under demonic possession, insane out of her mind. 
He laid hands on her, cast the devils out of her, and in a moment of time, the, the look on her face changed, her countenance changed, and she was totally healed, totally delivered from those devils. The next thing he knew, he was back on the platform, aware of his physical body, aware of the people who were praying. That next week, he was given a letter sent a letter from this man whose cousin they prayed for. And they said, we don't know what happened to our cousin. The doctors are absolutely amazed. She is totally in her right mind. And the day that we prayed, they sent her home from the insane asylum, totally healed, totally delivered from her demons. Power of corporate prayer. There's, there's multiple stories, uh, there's multiple testimonies, supernatural miracles in that story. It reminds me about Philip who had gone down and, and as he was praying, as he was, as he was preaching, he was caught up, he was translated from where he was and God took him and he ministered to the Ethiopian eunuch and he got born again. Talk about the translating power of the Lord. That's the power of prayer. That's the power of prayer. You say, Pastor, do you believe that can happen? It's in the Bible. I absolutely believe that can happen. The third thing we need to watch for and, and pursue the work of God and a move of God is the unity of the body of Christ. I'm glad all two or three of you agree with me. Let me tell you something. I'm going to be bold. If you have, the Bible says, the Bible uses the word ought, the King James ought. If you have an offense, if you have, if you have a unforgiveness, Jesus was really specific about this. He said, don't come to worship. Let me just tell you what Matthew says. He said, he said don't, Jesus and Matthew said, don't come, don't come to worship if you have offense. He said, leave your gift, leave your worship at the altar. Just press pause at the altar. Leave it there for a moment and go settle the offense before you come and worship. Why is that so important? We can talk about the power of forgiveness. We can talk about a lot of things around this. But it, the, the offense... What was, what was Jesus' example of praise? He said, Lord, forgive, forgive us our trespasses. Forgive, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. So when there's offense, when there's striving in the body, the Bible calls it gangrene. So when there's an offense, when there's issues, it's like a cancer in your body. You may not notice it at first. You may not notice that you have a cancer at first. But if you let it go and you let it just sit there, it begins to eat away at the inside of your body. It begins to eat away and before long it begins to either build some sort of a lump or a cyst or it can cause, after a time it just continues to rot and cause your body to rot and decay. And it, eventually that, that cyst begins to sink in and, and become gangrene and destroy and spread throughout the rest of your body. You say, that's a great image. 
Welcome to the power of offense. Hebrews tells us to be careful not to allow the root of bitterness to spring up and offend many. In Acts chapter 2, I want to recognize the power of unity here in Acts chapter 2. In verse 42, it says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers... So there's, a, there's koinonia. That word fellowship is the word koinonia. It's a partnership. It's, it describes a, a marriage. There's this, this marriage, this fellowship, this partnership within the body of Christ. It is describing the unity that was among the believers. You have to think about this isn't just the 120 that was in the upper room. This is the 3,000 that had just or more that had just gotten born again, plus the 120, plus whomever else was in the mix. So this was a large group of people operating together in unity. We're not just talking about 10 or 20. We're talking thousands of people that were now operating in this koinonia fellowship place of unity. Verse 42 talks about how they walked together in, in fellowship, in doctrine, in breaking of bread, communion, prayers. They were doing this together. Everybody say unity. unity. Man, that sounded good. Let's try that again. Everybody say unity. unity. How blessed, Psalms 133 says, how blessed it is. How blessed not just kind of blessed, but how blessed it is when brothers dwell together in unity. For there, the Lord commands the blessing. It's, it's not just sort of blessed. It's how blessed. It's a big bless. The Lord is pouring out the oil of his anointing and his blessing when we dwell together in unity. That's what was happening here in Acts. Now watch what happens. Verse 48. Or 43, I'm sorry. What, what happens when they walk together in unity? Fear came upon every soul. When you, it, it, it takes me back. This image takes me back to the Israelites marching into battle. They were sitting outside of Jericho. And with unity, one voice, they marched around those walls. With one voice they shouted. With one voice they blew their trumpet. And as they did, the walls of Jericho, wide enough to put multiple chariots and horses across, came crashing down, absolutely obliterated the walls that stood in front of them when they lifted their voice as one. Great fear came upon all the people when they were in unity. Why? Because when a church operates in unity, it's unstoppable. When the church stops quarreling over internal issues, when the church stops fighting over this or that or what she said, he said, this, that, or the other thing, and moves together in one voice, in unity, and harmony, it's unstoppable. Why? Because we all of a sudden are singing the song of the Lord together. We're praying together. We're interceding together. We're, we're coming together in ministry together. We're supporting one another. We're taking care of one another's needs and building each other up. And it's unstoppable. Yeah. 
They walked together in unity. Fear came upon every soul. Awe. The, the word there for fear is awe. People were in awe of what was happening in the church. It's sad to say we live in a day where most people are not in awe of what's happening in the church. They're too busy trying to stay caught up on the next failure of the, what leader or this happened or this issue or that issue. I believe that we are in a day where the move of God brings us back to a place of awe. Where we're in awe of God's beauty in one another. When I look around the room, I don't see a bunch of people who are broken, who have a bunch of issues. And oh my goodness, I have to stand up in front of them again. I have, to, I have to preach in front of those people again. Oh my goodness, here we go. No, when I look around the room, I see an awe and wonder of the beauty of God designed in your life. Now don't get me wrong, there's times when I get frustrated because I'm like, oh my goodness, can't they see the work of God inside them? Why play with sand toys and build sand castles when God's called you to a holiday at sea? Why, why play on the beach when God's called you out into the deep places? But I look around and I see the beauty of the Lord and his handiwork and his masterpiece in your life. When you, when you look at me, do you see the masterpiece of God? <laughs> Do you, do you look at me and see, wow, pastor, you're the handiwork of the Lord. You're such a masterpiece. <laughs> but when you and I begin to look at each other that way, they are the handiwork. They are the masterpiece of God. It enables us to honor them honor one another, to operate in unity, regardless of what we think about a situation, regardless of what we think about a politician, regardless of how we vote or don't vote or any, how the color of someone's skin or not or whatever. All of that stuff is ridiculous when you look at someone and say, they're the masterpiece of God. The creator of the universe made them. You begin to honor them, even in their mess. I was listening this yesterday. We started filming some of the testimonies for New Year's Eve. We're going to be